Este siglo es el siglo de la liberación de la América Latina. Y Venezuela jugará siempre un papel determinante. On November 21st, Venezuela will hold its 27th election since Chavez came to power. Critically, this will be the first time since 2015 that Chavismo will face most of the opposition in an electoral contest after the self-styled group of four parties finally abandoned their boycott strategy. The decision by the radical U.S.-backed wing of the opposition to take part should also be read as an admission that their insurrectionary strategy, that is, backing violent street protests, calling for sanctions, in order to trigger regime change, has failed. For now. What happens on November 21st will have major implications. A strong showing by Chavismo will likely mean a return to the maximum pressure strategy by the U.S. and EU through its illegal sanctions regime against Venezuela. Likewise, a strong result for the opposition would generate the sort of overconfidence that we saw in the aftermath of the 2015 election, where we saw its leaders were convinced that the end of the Bolivarian Revolution was imminent. In short, these elections represent a defining moment for Venezuelan politics. Welcome to the new Venezuela Analysis Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Luis Granado Ceja. The Venezuela Analysis Podcast brings independent, on-the-ground, English-language coverage of Venezuela and the Bolivarian process. You'll hear news and in-depth analysis about the country, as well as coverage of leftist and grassroots forces. In this episode of the podcast, we will look at the upcoming mega-elections in Venezuela, where over 70,000 candidates will vie for 3,082 positions. Apart from deciding regional authorities, such as governors and mayors, this election will determine the fate of political gridlock in Venezuela. Anything could happen. After years of economic difficulties caused by the drop in the price of oil and the strangling of the economy by U.S.-led sanctions, the political base of Chavismo isn't what it once was. In the 2018 presidential elections, the United Socialist Party of Venezuela won approximately 6.2 million votes. But in the 2020 legislative elections, 3.5 million voted for the ruling party, representing a drop of more than 40% in support. The opposition, despite finally coming back to the ballot, is in even worse shape. As seasoned Venezuelan political analyst Glodavadio Hernández recently told Venezuela Analysis, quote, The opposition is divorced from national and popular interests, is divided by political and economic factors, has very weak leadership, lacks coherent internal organization, and has a diminished presence on the street, end quote. This scenario means that the United Socialist Party of Venezuela and its allies will likely win a majority of posts at play. Still, polling in Venezuela is notoriously unreliable, so it is difficult to make predictions. Whatever the result, the race between the four main blocs, government, left, moderate right, and hard right, will provide a fascinating insight into the current balance of forces and could open a new chapter in the country's democratic history. So who are the four blocs? Well, firstly, there is the government-dominated PSUV Plus bloc, the ruling United Socialist Party of Venezuela, plus a number of smaller parties. Most candidates were chosen through a primary process that saw millions turn out to vote, a good sign for the ruling party considering the recent drops in voter turnout. To the left of the PSUV bloc is the Popular Revolutionary Alternative, or APR, which brings together a unified list of candidates from a range of leftist forces running on the Communist Party ticket. Then there's a center-right and right-wing anti-government bloc made up of Democratic Action, Popular Will, Justice First, and A New Era, parties running on the MUD ticket, which was resurrected for these elections. 
And finally, a number of smaller opposition parties, which broke with the hardliners, have joined forces to run as the so-called Democratic Alliance. On today's program, we will hear from Venezuelan writer and theorist Reinaldo Iturriza, the author of the book El Chavismo Salvaje, and former minister of communes and of culture. But first, a conversation between Venezuela analysis writer Paul Dobson and myself about the issues in this election and the state of Chavez's model of a participatory democracy. Welcome. Today we are joined by Paul Dobson. He's a member of the team at Venezuela Analysis, where he's a writer, and he's somebody with ample experience working and covering Venezuelan elections. So we're really happy to have you. Paul, welcome to the show. You're based in Merida. What have the Venezuelans that you've been talking to been saying about the upcoming elections? What are the big issues on the minds of voters where you're located? Yeah, Jose Luis. Well, the, the general opinion on the streets here in Venezuela is, I think, uh, one of apathy when it comes to these elections. We've seen a decreasing participation levels uh, over the last few elections here in Venezuela, and there's nothing to suggest that this will be any different. Um, there is a certain level of disillusionment with the uh, political forces representing both the left and the right here in Venezuela. And in general, there's a, there's a low energy on the streets, especially when we compare it to the, the sort of dynamics we saw during the Chavez governments, where large sections of the population would get very motivated, animated about the electoral prospects on offer, both pro-government and anti-government. No? Uh, when we look at the reasons behind this, I think it's very interesting, Jose Luis, because uh, while they're very complex, we could briefly resume them by, by pointing out, especially on the government side, on the left-wing forces, uh, a range of factors, including the economic hardships, which have undoubtedly been felt much harder by the working class population in Venezuela. Seven or eight years of, of recession has taken its toll, and there are a number of, of activists who are, who are inactive, let's say, due to the economic hardships they're currently going through. They shouldn't be ignored in any analysis. But we also have to look at the rightward shift of the government policy right now. Uh, this has also played a role in deactivating or disanimating a number of, of, of supporters and important mid-range activists across the country who now don't necessarily feel that they are being represented by the, the party of the government or that their revolutionary perspective is being listened to per se. Equally on the right wing, we're seeing uh, a number of right wing voters, traditional historic right wing voters, really considering whether they're going to vote this time or not, um, partly due to the back and forth policies of the radical right, which have switched between uh, the electoral path and the, the, the boycott path, the insurrectionary path, uh, so well known here in Venezuela. Now the opposition, the hard right, are going back to the ballot um, and a lot of people on the right, their traditional support base, are asking uh, with what conviction they're actually doing this. And one of the important issues we're going to see is whether they are able to, to renew the confidence in their leadership. Equally, the rise of the new leaders in the right-wing parties, what we're calling here the soft right, um, seems to so far have failed to uh, capitalize on the support base, the traditional uh, right-wing voters, and a lot of people are, are unconvinced about some of these new leaders coming out of the, the right, the softer right parties. But there's definitely winds of change here on the streets, Jose Luis. Uh, very few people are 
happy with the current state of the country. Uh, most people are looking for an, for an alternative, for changes, um, for an improvement, especially in the economic situation. Um, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how far the new alternatives, both on the left, where we have the uh, popular revolutionary alternative using the Communist Party's ticket um, to provide a challenge to the left-wing rhetoric of the government, and also on the right, where we see the Democratic Alliance challenging the right-wing spaces from the traditional uh, round-wing, um, round-table, hard-right electoral base. It's going to be interesting to see how far these, these alternatives are able to penetrate the popular consciousness, how far trust will be uh, renewed in, in the voter base. And also, it's going to be interesting to see how far the loyalty to the, or the traditional loyalty to the government party, to the PSUV, will remain in place despite the ongoing hardships. We saw in December last year a significant turnout for the ruling party, and uh, initial signs would indicate that this will, this will remain, this will remain. Uh, the prospects of a power void, uh, which is what we've increasingly been seeing here in Venezuela over the last three or four years, are worrying. Um, when we look at the historical examples of the rise of fascism in some, some countries, and I think it, it will be very positive for Venezuela as a whole to see a greater turnout and a return to, to uh, increased participation in the elections. So do you think that the voter turnout will be an important metric to pay attention to once the results coming in? Will that tell us, you know, whether or not there was a lot of emotion, uh, excitement from either the government bloc, uh, the progressive forces, the leftist forces and the opposition forces? Without a doubt. And it's been one of the central themes of the campaign so far from all of the parties, all of the political blocs involved, the four political forces which are really facing up in these elections, how can they motivate the voters to return to, to what were very, very important part levels of participation during the Chavez period? What we've also seen during the campaigning so far, Jose Luis, has been um, a surprising lack of differentiation between the discourses used between the major blocs, the hard wing, hard right wing, um, MUD bloc and the government bloc. They are both using a lot of uh, similar tactics when it comes to their campaigning rhetoric. Um, very few have actually proposed concrete plans of government so far. Um, and a lot of them are using words like rescuing the, uh, the municipalities, rescuing the, the governorships, um, and providing themselves or positioning themselves in counter position to their opponents. Um, obviously, a lot of the campaigning has focused on local issues on public services, which have been battered by years of recession, by the US blockade, by fiscal squeezes and a whole range of other factors. And they really uh, have been running to the ground in, in recent years. Um, a number of candidates are also talking about working with the communities. Um, again, we'd have to see how far this is rhetoric and how far they actually are looking to do. There's very few actually talking about the organized communities, the communes. Most are just talking about the communities in a more general fashion. A lot of candidates are also offering or promising better models of distribution of uh, state goods, such as fuel, which is in, uh, in a, currently in, in, a, in a state of shortage still across the country, uh, vehicle fuel, but also subsidized food, the clap bags. Um, most candidates are promising or offering better distributive distri distribution models for the, the population. 
obviously some of the candidates are focusing on the, the national picture, Jose Luis, especially from the, the MUD, the hard right wing bloc, who are trying to turn this into a, a referendum on socialism, a referendum on the Maduro government, naturally. Um, and they're really focusing on the national balance of forces, we can say, uh, offering the voters a chance to try to accumulate a su the sufficient balance of forces on the national picture to change the national direction of the country and its policies, rather than necessarily focusing on localized issues, which is essentially what these elections should be out about. Um, when we also look at the, the, the left-wing option, the popular revolutionary alternative, they have been, they have provided a, a plan of government uh, on a national picture for all of their candidates, which is generally focused on an, a more inclusive model of local government, focused around planning, uh, scientific planning of the municipalities and the resources, uh, and also transparency, using the anti-corruption fight as one of their major motors to, to try to stimulate votes for their offer. Um, but the dynamics between these blocks, Jose Luis, is very interesting. We're seeing on the right, the two competing options, the Democratic Alliance and the MUD bloc, vying to some extent for the, the discourse uh, the anti-government discourse, and it'll be interesting to see how far the, the voters um, reflect this, this battle, we can say, between them. Equally on the left, we're seeing a number of government candidates using uh, revolutionary discourse, which um, is being challenged by the popular revolutionary alternative, um, which are pointing out the government's right-wing turn, um, and to some extent uh, trying to reclaim the revolutionary policies of the Chavez government. This whole dynamic speaks to something that's really interesting about these elections in particular with the return of certain Venezuelan political actors, the, the insurrectionary elements of the opposition to the political fold, to elections. And I think it's undoubtedly a good thing for Venezuelan society because less political actors pursuing violent means of regime change, I think, is a good thing for society generally. But I think it's also reinforcing certain dynamics that I think are already at play inside of Venezuela. And by that, I mean this emphasis on bourgeois elections, on the need to run so many elections, despite the criticisms that always come after the fact, the effort by the ruling party, the United Socialist Party of Venezuela, to maintain state power, even if it does mean accommodating certain interests from the bourgeoisie and moving away from the working class as the motor of the revolution. So, you know, in your opinion, what do these elections say about the state of Venezuela's democracy and more specifically about Chavez's dream of a more participatory protagonist democracy? Well, once again, the, these elections are a perfect moment to look at some of the contradictions currently underway in Venezuela, which are essentially defining the course of uh, both the ruling party, but also the Venezuelan revolution, the Bolivarian process in, in general. We all know, as well documented, Chavez's uh, dream, let's say, of installing a radically progressive, participative democracy in Venezuela based around decentralization, based around the destruction of the bourgeois state, based around uh, the, the revolutionary subject as the center of the policymaking, both on a, on a local, regional, and of course, national level. And, of, and a, an important element of this was the construction of the communes, which were, uh, which are still the challenging force to the bourgeois, the traditional bourgeois state. 
Now, obviously, there's an interesting debate going on about how far Chavez actually progressed in this path. But I think there is uh, less debate about his vision, about where he wanted to take the country. He maybe didn't go quite as far as, as he could have, or, or the conditions didn't allow him to advance much in this dream. But there was a very clear vision presented to the country during his government. What we've seen recently, and especially in the last four to five years, has to some extent been a, a de facto reversal of this. Uh, we've seen a, strengthen of the a strengthening of the liberal dem democratic model in Venezuela, obviously with all of its traits, including um, a strong correlation between an economic power base and your chances to be elected, amongst other things. Uh, and this has gone hand in hand to some extent with a, a, a reduction in grass levels democracy, both as a result of the economic hardships a country is undergoing, the general levels of uh, demotivation amongst a lot of the important lower and mid-range activists across the country, and a drop in, in some of the uh, instances or spaces where this sort of participatory democracy would, would previously have been exercised, so the communes or the workers' councils or the peasant councils, which uh, large numbers of which have um, have stopped working as they previously did. Uh, now, and obviously, just a, a disclaimer here, Jose Luis, obviously not all of them, a lot of the communes are in fact have upped their levels of political organization and popular organization during these times of crisis. But there are also an important number of, of these spaces which have uh, ceased to work as, as was initially um, visioned, we can say. And one of the elements which I think is really adds evidence to this, to this thesis, to this argument, it was the internal primaries of the ruling party, which were held between June, July, and the beginning of August, where there were certain challenges, we can say, to establishment figures from the grassroots, generally across the country. But when we look at the results, not only do we see the, the reinforcement of the establishment figures within the party, who obviously have a certain uh, historical political career behind them, have a very significant power base in terms of economics, uh, but also within in terms of contacts um, and in terms of institutions. Um, but we also saw a certain level of um, irregularities, some are describing them as uh, abuses even, when it came to the election of the candidates from the grassroots. One of the municipalities close to where I live, Jose Luis, the members of the party elected uh, one person to be their candidate for mayor, but for some unknown reason, maybe this candidate wasn't accepted by Caracas, wasn't liked by Caracas, wasn't, uh, didn't have the political support base in Caracas in the national leadership. Uh, and so obviously the national leadership came and said, no, this man will not be the candidate. We're in fact going to impose somebody else. And these sorts of dynamics really add to this general trend of demotivation, of disillusionment, and a general distance which is being opened up between the national leadership of the Socialist Party, the ruling Socialist Party, and the grassroots. And this is very damaging, I would say, Jose Luis, to general uh, democracy in Venezuela, but especially to participative, radically progressive democracy in Venezuela. I think I wouldn't be at all surprised this election to see a drop in the vote for the ruling party on a national level, uh, which in part will be explained by this factor and a range of other factors, the imposition of candidates, the rejection or the turning of the back of grassroots proposals uh, for candidates and uh, plans of government. 
And this is something which is not just happening in the area I live, but again, on a national level. Just to finish up here, I think it's also worth pointing out that when we're talking about democracy in general, we shouldn't uh, confuse quantitative and qualitative instances of democracy. Venezuela has had a huge number of democratic elections over the last 20 years or so. Um, and this election, in fact, is, if I'm not mistaken, the largest election over the last 20 years in terms of the number of candidates, the number of offices to be elected, the number of political parties participating, and so on. But these, this, this data doesn't necessarily equate into a great leap forward in terms of democracy, where it is positive, of course, that the Venezuelan population is being consulted on a regular basis nearly every year. The Venezuelan population is consulted uh, about their local government, administration, or, or other issues. This doesn't necessarily equate into a more democratic country, especially when we take into account the elements which I've already pointed out, that the status quo figures have really ingrained themselves uh, in these democratic processes. Economic power has really taken hold within the democratic processes. Um, and this is worrying. This is worrying when we look at the general democratic picture, especially in the context of Chavez's dream to, to push towards a more radical, progressive, participative democracy. These are some of the contradictions which are undergoing uh, the Venezuelans right now, Venezuelan society, but especially the Venezuelan revolutionary movement is looking at these contradictions and trying to find out how to, how to resolve them, how to push forward, how to re retake the, the vision which was proposed by Chavez uh, without necessarily seeing some of the worst side effects of these contradictions, such as lower participation in the liberal democratic model, which we're currently seeing, such as the sidelining of some of the democratic alternatives which were being imposed by the Chavez government, the communes, the workers' councils, the peasants' councils, and a whole range of other instances, the popular auditing of elected posts, you know, and how we can really push forward to, uh, as Chavez described it, uh, to the destruction of the bourgeois state, Jose Luis. And the destruction of the bourgeois state necessarily has to include the construction of an alternative model, the construction of an alternative model based around the people, based around the organized communities, which really will start assuming the powers, uh, taking on the powers uh, which the bourgeois state has historically managed, local services, uh, litter collection, public services, education, healthcare, infrastructure projects, and this is really where the issue of, of elections is tied to the issue of the Venezuelan communes, which is, as we have all seen, a very important element of VA's coverage uh, and the grassroots here in Venezuela. So I think they are necessarily interlinked, dialectically interlinked, the bourgeois elect elections, the participation in the liberal democracy, which we have here in Venezuela, and the strength or weakness of the communes as the, as the alternative to this historically liberal model which the Venezuelan society um, has had for many, many decades, well before Chavez.
Yeah, and I want to invite our listeners, in case they haven't heard it yet, to check out our last episode, episode two, where we talked about popular power and, in fact, spoke with a grassroots activist, Jesus, about the situation of the communes in Venezuela, a really exciting, interesting uh, experience and one that I think leftists throughout the world could certainly learn from. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. Uh, he's a writer at Venezuela Analysis, and I also want to invite everybody to subscribe to the podcast because we will be releasing an episode shortly after the results of come in providing our analysis of the results. Thanks again, Paul. Porque nosotros no estamos batallando realmente contra los factores de la oposición política venezolana. Nosotros estamos enfrentando al imperio más poderoso, al imperio más inmoral, al imperio más cínico, al imperio más asesino, el imperio de los Estados Unidos de Norteamérica. In the clip we just heard, Chavez spoke about having to confront not the Venezuelan opposition, but rather U.S. imperialism. That is more true today than when Chavez spoke those words so many years ago. The behavior of the opposition has proven time and time again, and most recently with their desperate efforts to cling onto the so-called interim presidency, that it is Washington that calls the shots. The fact that these coolest parties are participating in this election does not mean that they have fully renounced their anti-democratic character. Rest assured, if they get trounced, they will not hesitate to return to their coup plotting. But conditions have forced them back into the democratic fold. As I argued previously, this is good news. If these elections lead to an easing of sanctions, this could allow the government to get the economy back on track and provide for a reawakening of the Bolivarian grassroots. To explore this possibility and more, we turn to Venezuelan writer and theorist Reinaldo Ituriza. Welcome to the program, Reinaldo. With the return of the self-styled group of four parties to an electoral strategy, can it be said that the coolest, insurrectionary, disloyal, and anti-democratic opposition has been left in the past? What does this mean for the Bolivarian Revolution? De entrada, yo creo que es importante precisar que no todos los partidos de oposición han vuelto la ruta electoral. For starters, I think we should point out that not all opposition parties have returned to the electoral path. There's a minority faction which, as is well known, has done everything in its power to undermine the political dialogue that was taking place in Mexico until recently. Unsurprisingly, this is the sector that is most committed to the fiction of a parallel government, which was the tactic this group set in motion in 2019. Moreover, if we look at recent history, it's hard to claim that the opposition as a whole decided to renounce its disloyal, anti-democratic character or abandoned its regime change plans. I think most opposition parties abandoned this regime change path not as a matter of principle or due to their commitment to democratic values. Rather, the confrontational path is violent and it turned out to be clearly ineffective from a political standpoint. Nevertheless, I would say it's undoubtedly good news not just for the Bolivarian Revolution, but for Venezuelan society as a whole, the fact that most opposition parties have manifested their desire to participate in these elections. The political conflict in Venezuela must be solved by the Venezuelan people. And furthermore, it should be expressed electorally, something which is also deeply ingrained in Venezuelan society's political culture, and even more so after Chavez took power in 1998. Within Chavismo, is there an excessive emphasis on the facets of a liberal democracy, e.g. multi-party system, representative institutions? And has this emphasis contributed to what you call the disaffiliation of popular sectors? 
Este fenómeno de la desafiliación política bebe de varias fuentes. This phenomenon of political disaffiliation has many sources. It's a multi-causal phenomenon, as analysts are fond of saying. By disaffiliation, I usually refer to the problematic relation between a significant part of Venezuelan society, I would dare say the majority, and the political identities that have fought each other since the turn of the century, Chavismo and anti-Chavismo. One and the other, Chavismo and anti-Chavismo, expressed until very recently the conflict between two historical projects, one that had a national, popular, revolutionary, and after some point, socialist character, the other anti-national, anti-popular, and markedly neoliberal. Now, for several concrete reasons, beyond political rhetoric, in recent times most of the population has the perception that it is no longer a clash between two major historical projects for the country. Instead, it's become a confrontation between two groups vying for political power. For Chavismo, which historically has the most popular camp, without a doubt, the disaffiliation process, in my mind, has essentially to do with the government's path on economic matters, especially starting in 2016. This is when we see a kind of turn, which then becomes much clearer with the 2018 economic reforms. For anti-chavismo, and stressing that this is not something I've researched deeply, disaffiliation is owed to the successive failures of the anti-chavista political leadership in its attempt to seize power. What I've said so far would be an express summary of what, as I warned in the beginning, is a multi-causal phenomenon. In all honesty, I'm not sure it's accurate to say that Chavismo, while in government, has put too much emphasis in the exercise of liberal democracy. Instead of an excessive emphasis in this direction, I think we should look back at how the concept of a protagonist and participatory democracy, which is key in the Bolivarian Revolution, has been losing ground both symbolically and materially. For instance, nowadays it would be hard to find someone who does not agree with the democracy of a protagonist and participatory nature. But it would be just as hard to find someone who says that's the kind of democracy we have right now. In contrast, with the exception of a few territories where, for instance, the idea and practice of popular self-government is very strong, it's hard to find someone interested in discussing politics, and that's not because people became depoliticized. Quite the opposite. I believe the subject of this disaffiliation are very politicized, but very critical of the political class or the politics that currently exist. If we consider that in the Chavez government, there was an effort to democratize all aspects of Venezuelan life, in the Maduro government, we have been witness to a pragmatic turn, where it has become evident that the advances in the democratization of the economy have been steadily lost, something that is partially explained by the effort by the Bolivarian government to secure democratic legitimacy in the eyes of the world and reduce the tensions with the national bourgeoisie. How can this tendency be reversed, and what role do the November elections play in this? In very rough terms, I think the way to revert this trend, which is leading to setbacks in the process of democratizing the Venezuelan economy, is to rescue the center of gravity of Chavista politics, the working class, and especially a fraction of the working class that some authors call the subproletariat. Subproletarians, to give a quick definition, are the poor who work, even though their labor does not provide sufficient means to secure the normal reproduction of their labor force. 
My hypothesis, and I think there's plenty of historical evidence to back it up, is that the working class and the working poor in particular were the political center of gravity during the entire Chavez period and also in the early times of Nicolás Maduro's first government. Under Chavez, the government's efforts were dedicated to paying back the social debt, as we used to call it back then. This was nothing more than an effort to dignify the lives of the working poor. Of course, the whole of society benefited, but those who were favored the most were the working poor, many of whom managed to escape poverty. It's no surprise that this was the class fraction that suffered the most with the economic crisis that was set off at the end of 2014 with the oil price crash, and which was aggravated later, among other reasons, because of the unilateral sanctions imposed by the United States government, especially those targeting the oil industry so as to block any possible recovery. Using Gramsci's terminology, what we could call the Chavista historical popular bloc solidified itself through the support of the working class, and in particular, I insist, the working poor. Chavismo's defeat in the 2015 legislative elections was a sign that this historical bloc was falling apart. From that point on, in my view, instead of making it a priority to recover the support of the working class, the center of gravity gradually moved towards sectors of the bourgeoisie. The underlying premise was that it was impossible to remain in power without making concessions to these sectors, even if at the expense of the working class. In other words, the idea of politics as a construction of popular hegemony was progressively abandoned. This idea, it should be said, was always how Chavez and Chavismo understood the exercise of politics. So, to sum up, I think this is the main strategic mistake to fix. You have said that in the case where the revolutionary forces are weak, a retreat is understandable. But that from your point of view in the last few years, this retreat was not carried out in an organized way, and as a result, has not produced results. After these November elections, will the conditions be in place for an advance in the construction of popular power and of revolutionary struggle? What should the priorities be for the popular struggle so that it can continue to strengthen its forces? Yes, in effect, when I say that the political center of gravity gradually shifted from the working class, and the working poor especially, towards sectors of the bourgeoisie, what I really mean is that this is one of the symptoms of what I refer to as a disorderly retreat. The priority is rescuing this center of gravity. We must always put the interests of the working class first, even if under specific circumstances we are forced to take a step back or make some more concessions. Unless we want to see our strategic political horizon completely blurred, we need to convince ourselves that the weight of the economic crisis cannot be fully borne, as is happening right now, by the working class and especially the working poor. Ironically, at this moment, this is a class fraction that is even bigger than it was at the beginning of the Bolivarian Revolution. Thank you for joining us. Remember... Our on-the-ground work is 100% funded by readers. Please consider making a one-time donation or becoming a subscriber by visiting our website, venezuelanalysis.com. You can also support us on Patreon. Be sure to visit us at venezuelanalysis.com for regular news and analysis on all things Venezuela. We're also everywhere on social media, from Telegram to Instagram and, of course, Twitter. This podcast is a new endeavor for us. If you enjoyed the program, please share it with your friends and leave us a review if you can. We'll close today's episode with a classic tune from past elections in Venezuela. Yeah, yeah.
Y aquí me quedo con el madera One more time, time. 